You're listening to Producing Art and Life by Melanie Abrahams. This is an NAPK Start podcast in collaboration with Renaissance One. In these podcasts, I will be in conversation with dynamic and inspiring producers and creatives who work in the performing arts and creative industries. Although they are based in different parts of the world and vary in age and background, they share values and perspectives in common and the kind of wisdom I wish I could have had access to when I was starting out as a producer. At a time of great uncertainty, but also new possibilities, the conversations offer personal stories, perspectives on building a career, useful tips on well-being and good mental health, and insights on embracing change. So I'm talking to Rochelle Saunders, um, a producer that I've known for a number of years. Welcome, Rochelle. Hi, um, my name is Rochelle. Saunders, I'm a producer that's based in London, originally from Manchester. Uh, my specialism actually spans across the arts with literature and education. Lovely to be talking to you. And I think we met maybe around 11 years ago at the South Bank Centre. Um, and at that time, you were studying for a degree, I think. Yeah, when we met, I had actually just graduated from SERAS, the School of Oriental and African Studies, where I had done a BA in politics. And I found the degree to be really intellectually stimulating. And I was trying to find ways of applying it in a way that's outside of traditional political spaces and activist spaces. Um, I've had a long history of working in the performing arts I trained as a dancer from the age of three and I was doing that up until I was 20 Um, and I found that creative practices is a really good way of sharing your political ideas and it's a really good way in which people can digest them in a way that seems can often seem less intimidating and they could be more receptive to the ideas in that way so for me following my degree I wanted to find ways that I could do that creatively and interestingly so, Rochelle, what was your journey or the main steps of you becoming a producer? Um, it was actually quite accidental, my journey into becoming a producer. I, I had just finished my degree and I wanted to find a way to apply my learning and deepen my learning um, around political issues and social justice issues in a creative way and ways in which that I felt Uh, could engage people to take action and call to actions. At first, it started out actually uh, volunteering and working with Tilt Spoken Word and then Renaissance One, gaining some practical, um, hands-on experience of working in the arts, and I just absolutely loved it. I thought it was really, really good, and it never crossed my mind to work in that way. Despite going to the theatre and engaging with arts and cultural institutions throughout my life, I never really thought about it as a career option. Uh, I didn't know the many different ways in which uh, the arts comes alive. You know, I was always seeing the final product. I knew I didn't want to be on stage, um, but I always enjoyed the buzz around those spaces. So um, volunteering then after my degree was a great way for me to kind of 
learn and then obviously mentoring with yourself Melanie was just invaluable getting to understand that there are so many different ways to do this um and I was all I've always been really really fixated on the application and allowing people to feel open to learn so education was something that I've been interested in doing for many many years as well so I went and trained to teach and then went into schools and taught for a while um, but I found myself in each teaching job and each teaching role finding ways to bring more creative opportunities to the students I was finding myself producing little festivals or uh, organizing cultural trips and then it slowly became obvious to me that that was the aspect of my job that I enjoyed the most so whilst being in the classroom was really good it was the more kind of making and creating artistic ways of applying knowledge so I decided to um, return and work for Renaissance One for a while again and really give that a good go this time um, and I supported myself to take a master's at the University of Arts London which again helped me to kind of gain confidence and to learn what was going on in the arts at that time because I had taken a bit of an, a formal break and it was really good to do that degree. I don't think it's an essential part of doing this work by any means, but it can help if you are in a position to do that because you can learn a lot about best practice. You can create new networks, but there are, as I say, many other ways of doing that that don't cost a fortune. <laughs> um, and then after that, I kind of gaining some skills and gaining some confidence um, I've just kind of pursued it from there really and just trying to find new and interesting creative ways to keep my career going. And uh, one of the people we have in common is the um, artist, photographer, performing artist, also hip-hop theatre practitioner, um, Benji Reed. And one of the things I've always felt about Benji Reed and other artists is the way that they have levels of versatility and work across different platforms was Benji or were other artists a kind of influence on you with regards to thinking that you could work kind of fluidly across different artistic practices? Massively so. So Benji's actually uh, my cousin so we're blood relatives so I felt, felt really fortunate to have that kind of influence within the family um, and I've been exposed to the arts throughout my life since I was a young child um working fluidly actually it took a long time for me to recognize that working fluidly is a good way of working there's a lot of emphasis especially in academia and in schools that you have to kind of choose a, a career path from a really young age and just go for it steadfast and maybe like don't divert from that but I think there's something about my actual personality where I'm more engaged and stimulated and I perform better when there is a variety of things going on and when things really spark my interests and because my interests are quite diverse um I tend to get so much more from working when I'm able to kind of kick on that and kind of really use the passions of other people as well to make things happen so a range of artists and art forms have influenced the way that I want to work um, and I take a lot of inspiration from people who 
dedicate themselves to artistic practice, definitely. And what would you say is the main difference between being a creative producer and a producer? Um, I think I see being a producer in a similar way to being a project manager, maybe. I think um, not always. I definitely use the terms creative producer and producer interchangeably. Um, But I think that creative element is quite important um, because you're probably more focused on the vision and making sure that what the artist, the writer wants is translated closer in that creative artistic way. Um, So you will also um, embody and you are a creative practitioner in that sense as well. Whereas I guess more kind of producer project management, you may be less inclined or less aware of that visionary element and work towards more kind of you know your gantt charts and making sure things are happening on time and timesheets and things and and maybe um tell me a little bit more about the things that do bring you passion and joy um i think one of the reasons that i'm particularly good and enjoy producing is because i love seeing people's ideas come to life um and I think that was the part of teaching and education that I really liked I really liked that light bulb moment or when someone starts something and then they make it into what they wanted and with a bit of guidance and a bit of support they're able to kind of fulfill their ideas and maybe even go beyond their ideas and be so happy with it so that's a massive thing that I really enjoy actually um I like being part of that journey and I like the co-creation. Um, so not just to be an observer, but to, to take part in that. What projects have you been most excited about or do you feel happy about achieving? I really love the work that I have done around Caribbean literature. And so I would have to say that the projects that excite me the most and I really enjoyed working on um, has been the Caribbean Fest that uh, Renaissance One did at the British Library. Um, I get to learn so much about myself. I have a sense of detachment from my Caribbean-ness, even though I was raised in a Jamaican home in the north of England. Um, There is so much more to understanding and learning that you just don't get in the British education system and you only get snippets. Um, So any opportunity that I get to work with artists and writers from across the Caribbean have always been my favourites. Yeah, definitely. Would you say having kind of people skills and being able to adapt to the different personalities within artists and the creative people that you work with is, is important? I think it's one of the most important skills, actually, Um, because especially, well, for everyone, but with artists in particular, my experience of working with artists is they're often really given part of themselves away through their artistic practice, so it puts them in a very vulnerable position, Um, and they may not all always be thinking about the details and the ways in which that a producer would be, um, especially thinking about, you know, particular organisation elements or uh, the practicalities. (laughs) Um, So it's quite sensitive. 
you know, we have to remember that what we're doing is sensitive work. Um, yeah, I think being good with people is really important, but also makes it enjoyable. You have to enjoy working with people and the different things that they all bring to the table and the different ways that they'll present themselves in different days. And again, um, it was something that I really enjoy and still enjoying that education journey um, because schools and education settings are like little petri dishes of wider society. So you get to see it all and kind of develop based on that. I wondered if you could talk a little about what your own take is on resilience and well-being, um, not just in terms of how important it is to you and how you practice it, but whether being a producer has actually helped with that at all? Um, so my well-being is the most important thing to me, actually. Um, it's something that I'm very proactive about. I have lots of uh, well-being and wellness practices that I practice every single day. Um, or I try to. So trying to make sure that I've got good balance around work and health um, is vitally important. And I guess in terms of producing, realising that that was what I wanted to do at this point in my life was a massive part of my well-being as well. I chose to leave a secure, <laughs> well-paid job to do this because I knew ultimately that would be something that would make me happier um so yeah for me it's definitely the right job to be doing um obviously being a creative producer could be really stressful you know there's lots going on and a lot can fall in your head to make sure that things go right and you also want to make sure that things are being delivered to the best of their ability and that's really important you want to maintain the artistic quality um and we're working within a sector that, as I mentioned earlier, is quite undervalued. So there's lots of financial pressures, um, making sure that you can live your life. So there can be a bit of a friction there with the well-being and being just working in the arts generally, because you know we we need to eat, we need to pay rent, and we need to make sure that all of those things are being valued. But I think in terms for me, of like knowing that that's what I want to do, it's been hugely important. And uh, knowing that's what I want to do now <laughs> is hugely important because I don't like to fix myself. I don't think that's healthy. It's been something I've been exploring a lot more over the past few years as it kind of dawned on me that a lot of the projects that I was producing, although it was kind of the back of my mind, I hadn't really thought about how sometimes how they were quite autobiographical. Um, either in terms of some of the themes that were being explored or, or even the artists that I was gravitating to, even though it may have been that they approached me, there were actually kind of links between us or connections, you know, which as the years go by, I kind of realised that in some ways I was sort of gently curating opportunities and possibilities as, you know, amidst kind of applying for things that were around um, because I... I had um, I had a mixture of issues, but also difficult questions that I was in a way solving through the work choices that I made, you know. Definitely. I think this, uh, for me anyway, there's a, a lot of self-discovery in the practice. Um, 
and I can feel a bit like oh is this like a big kind of selfish ego trip but it is true that's there's a lot of self-mastery coming out of it in terms of um trying to create things that I either felt I didn't have access to or the the gaps in the market can seem like a very capitalist way of looking at a problem but also the gaps in the market can be like where did I feel that I wasn't really catered to where do I think that people who think similarly to me or had similar lived experience to me could gain something from it um how can I create the communities that I feel I didn't wasn't able to access even if they exist in different spaces at different times um how can I do that through my work yeah and maybe that's why we are now you know working together 11 years on because there are still things to be solved and <laughs> so many and, and, and events and projects to be produced you know so because I think also one of the things that I was experiencing at the time was I was I was in a way being a producer in service to a range of artists and creative people but within what I was helping to facilitate and develop for them often I was gaining them bookings or we were doing events or we were producing tours and a lot of that was around their visibility, their visibility often as artists of colour, because I tended to gravitate towards artists of colour. Um, there were a great many, you know, women artists. There were artists maybe with disabilities. Essentially, I was focused and I had a, a really wide ranging intersectional approach. And I didn't even know the term intersectional <laughs> in those days. It was just the way that I was, you know. Yeah. Um, I guess one would call it marginalisation. And the reason it was around marginalization was because I was feeling a sense of marginalization. I was feeling that I didn't have a voice. So I was naturally gravitating towards various aspects of kinships, you know, and now that I can actually describe it and, and kind of come to an understanding of what I was doing in, in a more clumsy way those many years ago, yeah. <laughs> you know, I now feel that I can at least be more prepared and I can be more of a curator going forward now that I have that knowledge of, of, of what I was doing and some of the processes that I've developed and stitched together along the way. Like once you realise that actually what I was doing actually served a really important purpose, um, you, well, for me, I gained more confidence in following that through. Um, because I was like, actually, this isn't not only important to me, but I can see how this could be important to lots of other people. So and there is real value in doing that and working in that way. You're thinking about community and not just in terms of what people would define as your community. You're thinking in a much more wide ranging way. You're exploring diversity in, again, not the kind of usual way that people might define it, but in this kind of unfolding evolving intersectional way you know and I guess that's why I, I enjoy kind of looking at the work that you do and the work that you're developing. At the moment um, with the climate crisis being and hopefully being at the forefront of people's minds a lot more we tend to think of it in terms of the environment but for me environmental finance or well-being individual or collective it's about what are we doing now to ensure that it's going to be there for the generations to come afterwards? And um, what, what am I doing now as a practitioner to make sure that I can do what I enjoy in 10 years time and that I'm avoiding burnout? Um, 
I can't actually think of any kind of prime examples because I think there's a lot within the creative and cultural industries that works against people being able to gain this sustainability. I think the precarious nature of work, um, the ways in which projects are funded, I think the ways in which the arts is frequently disregarded as being as important as it is to society means it's really, really hard. Um, but with that said, there's obviously organisations like Renaissance One, and I know I'm really biased in saying that, who have managed to weather storms and continue going and after 20 years still here creating new work adapting to the times keeping um the finger on the pulse of what's important to artists and also what audiences enjoy and having that flexibility and adaptability um to keep going and I think there's a lot in that kind of model um I think smaller independent organizations who have not been historically as relying on say the arts council for funding um which can be incredibly changeable to different political ideas um and different political priorities probably tend to do quite well as well um but i think yeah there's a lot around the sustainability it's not just financial it's not just environmental but it's also how you care for yourself and care for the people that are part of your organization i think um thinking about health and wellness I think there's like the eight terms of wellness which includes you know financial health um mental health different forms of resilience uh those organizations those collectives would probably be in a better position to do that um I'm so glad you said that actually no I because I think uh the sustainability that's often spoken about in the media and the mainstream press is more about climate change and more of those kind of global issues when actually, um, you know, when we think about sustainability in terms of our own practice, we're also thinking about having agency and developing agency and enforcing yeah. and prioritizing agency. And I just think that aspect is so important for sustainability. And, and often it's not really explored or talked about in terms of if we don't take some level of control over being able to identify power as it exists and being able to kind of do things with it, then nothing we do will really be that sustainable. Absolutely. And when that power is taken away from you and when you're being defined by others, you are not empowered and that's not sustainable. You can't live in outside of an identity of what's your own or who you believe yourself to be. And that can be at an organisational level or it can be down at an individual level. Um, so, yeah, I think sustainability is a hugely important term, but I think we need to think of it as holistically as possible and as largely as possible because it's no one thing. It's all the things that create um, the prime opportunity for anything to move forward, to thrive and to sustain itself. Yeah, thank you, Rochelle. And and I think in some ways the way that you've summed it up reflects um, an aspect of your practice in terms of thinking around and thinking through um, a range of things as opposed to, you know, having maybe a more rigid or narrow mindset. Would you say that the fact that you you do display and you have a lot of openness within your practice, does that sort of then 
lend itself to being able to be quite creative as a producer because a producer generally has to very much think on their feet and be quite adaptable would you say that you you know is that something that you kind of practice or is that something that you felt that you've had for a long time or is it something within your family DNA and I think I'm gaining a self-awareness more recently that it may be part of my DNA but um historically I've not always appreciated that part of me I've um I think you know when I was growing up I heard a lot around you know being a jack of all trades and a master of none and the idea that to to kind of spread yourself out and to think and explore lots of different things is a negative um, and not actually a re and now I see it more as a really good way in which to kind of get a level of self-discovery I think through the things that I do and engage with I get to learn more about myself and my positions my values and what I can contribute to the world and to my practice um, and I think it's a really beautiful thing and a really good thing to be able to go that way um, but ironically not ironically but my parents have always encouraged me to embrace my fullness so it wasn't within the home and I think it's they kind of have a, a great sense of relief in the last few years when I decided to leave my school and that I was working in and they were like good now we can see you falling into what we thought you were or like where, what we thought you were destined to do and um, because you know they obviously can remember what I was like as a child in ways that I can't um, and how I was interested and inspired by lots of things um, and I think I don't know I just kind of got into a point where I was just trying to close myself and make myself smaller and smaller and conform more um, so yeah I think it's a mixture of DNA I think it's a mixture of starting to to lead myself by what I'm more passionate about and just kind of flipping life on its head a little bit I want to do things that I enjoy um, as much as I can because life is fragile so we should have you um encountered any tips or kind of wisdoms that you could share with an emerging producer or someone who wants to break into the field um i'd say keep an open mind um yeah keep an open mind uh it can be incredibly difficult to find different ways of working within it and you may accidentally find yourself working with it but if you can keep an open mind to different opportunities um it'll probably put you in a really good position uh make sure that you've got your personal finances in order as well so you know make sure that you're taking care of yourself in all the ways um it's for many people anyway, it's not going to be just like, a you know, you go in LinkedIn and you find the job and you get in it and you've got like a really stable income straight away. So you will have to think about the stages and making sure that you've got as much security around you as possible. Um, but yeah, I think keeping an open mind is probably my number one tip. Yeah, no, that's a great tip. And I think as well, having an open mind would also potentially connect you to those possibilities you might not think of otherwise, you know, because I, I guess one of the things I've noticed is that a lot of producers 
at least the ones that I'm aware of, you know, including myself, you, you can eventually start getting more work based on strong friendships and associations you've had over the years. And you might not even be looking for work or projects, but sometimes it's because there was elements of friendship and camaraderie um, and, and often unpaid work that was kind of, you know, done over the years. And sometimes you can kind of find that, you know, things then crop up unexpectedly, you know. Absolutely. Um, and I think like if you have a good level of stability outside producing when you first start out, um, you can be you can take greater risks as well. And, you know, you want to be in a position where you can take risks throughout your career. Um, but I don't think, sorry, I don't really know who's going to go with that, but yeah, I think keeping your options open and thinking about, don't always go in with an agenda, actually, I think, of what you can take out of it. I think let things be and let processes flow. And if something doesn't feel right, it probably isn't right as well. Um, but yeah. Um, based on that, if something doesn't feel right, um, I've found over the years that um, some of the most kind of supporting for myself as well as for, for people within it, projects that have taken place have come through um, being kind of carefully kind of shaped from scratch as opposed to kind of, you know, those things that you see in the kind of major advertised, you know, adverts or kind of press and media, those kind of mainstream jobs that are, that are offered. Um, and because producers actually produce things, you know, we create things out of nothing. Do you think that potentially, even though it might be more precarious, there is possibility in being able to, to essentially kind of produce projects that could then, help pay your way and create an income as oh, a definitely yeah um I think I think you hit the nail on the head then it's like you, we create so as much as we're creating work for ourselves and with others we are creating our lives through our work as well and um, so that's where the kind of keeping an open mind becomes really important and integral um because yeah, you can, and the aim is to be able to have very little and create something um, that sustains you in more ways than one. It's definitely possible. And I think we're gonna have to, especially in a post pandemic world, be thinking about that a bit more. It's definitely something that I'm gonna be thinking about a lot more. I think be mindful of, the grey areas around your values. <laughs> um, I think that's just a good um, tip just for life and working life. There might be some projects that you do from an ethical perspective uh, that might be a bit of an easy win, um, but aren't actually part of what your practice is or what your practice is about. Um, so I guess that's kind of what I was saying about like do things that feel right and try and avoid things that don't. Would you say that you're increasingly doing that? Because I, I've noticed that, you know, since I've known you, you've branched out a lot more and you've also set up your own kind of business in partnership. And, and there are so many different kind of offshoots that you're developing and involved in. 
Definitely. I see it as part of my personal development, more so than my career development. And it's kind of a really good thing that there are ways in which that I can create a revenue income and a career out of that too. Um, because I believe that life is really evolving and that I'm transforming constantly. I'm intrigued with the ways in which that I can apply myself to different things and see what I can make of that. Um, I don't want my work life to become my whole identity, but I really enjoy the ways in which that I can explore that and to create new things. Um, and it's definitely becoming more of a way in which that I want to work as I, I'm getting older because I'm gaining more confidence in that too and uh, kind of stepping into my own reality and stepping into what I think I want to do and what I want to put out into the world. I think that takes a bit of time really to gain that confidence and know how to do it and there's a lot of learning and evolving with that and accepting that things aren't finite and don't need to be finite. So yeah I think over the years it's becoming more the way I want to be um, and I hope to do a lot more in the future definitely. I think what you're saying about um, it taking time to develop the confidence to um, seek out or go for what you really want or what your kind of values is, is really important. Do you think it's also a thing as well of um, the outside world and peers and others kind of recognising what you have to offer? Because I think sometimes when we're working in this field, we're often learning the craft and the kind of art of the thing but actually what we're also bringing is a whole backlog of personal experience, of heritage, of various cultures, um, which also in itself is a kind of rich seam of, of practice as well. And um, I think I, only in the last kind of decade or so have I actually begun to acknowledge all that I'm kind of bringing through family history and heritage and culture alongside the things that you formerly learn have you kind of found that that's been your experience as well absolutely and not only just my cultural heritage as a black Jamaican part of the diaspora um, but also just being a woman I think there are many ways in which that we are encouraged to be quite limiting um, and limit our output and I think I've dedicated a lot of the last three years in particular into unlearning the ways in which that I feel that society as a whole tries to kind of contain you. Um, so I think one way, like for me, I spent a good seven years working my way through the education ladder, getting into a fairly senior leadership position in a school. I had a moment when I realised how have I found myself here? I'd kind of really followed um, this kind of caregiving pastoral uh, identity that I think, you know, is naturally part of me um, and I was good at it and I enjoyed it to a certain extent. Um, but maybe some cultural ideas that have not being too creative or not being too seen or to divert too far away from safety and security that you get in those kinds of roles um so yeah I think you have to really kind of step into a level of confidence to say actually no I am going to say no to that well-paid safe job because I do want to work in the arts I do think that I've got something to say I do think that um the way in which I think and believe and what I bring to different projects is interesting um 
and obviously like blackness and race and trying to carve out spaces in traditionally very white and conservative spaces as well and also being able to say you know I am high arts and or redefining and shaking high arts or thinking about what is valuable and what is good and yeah I, I think it's all intertwined with confidence because ultimately you need to believe that you are valuable and what you have to say is good too um, and there's a lot around the way society is organized that can make you feel that that's not really the case so you have to do a lot of digging to kind of get there and I think for a lot of women and um, people of color that unfortunately comes a little later in life yeah, and, and I guess that confidence as well is something that we can gain through solidarity and through fostering networks and through looking around us, you know, and to the side of us and actually moving along with our peers as well. Because I think sometimes as well, there might be a tendency to always look upwards to, you know, kind of named leaders and visible leaders when actually we're all kind of leaders um, in, in various guises, aren't we? And I think it's, it's becoming clearer now that a lot of those kind of mainstream aspects are being shattered. And when you look around this kind of thing of this, the difference between community and mainstream is, is a bit kind of um, murky um, nowadays. Are you finding that? Yeah, I really agree with that. Um, also the power of the niche um, and I feel again in the last couple of years in particular the more marginalized or nuanced niche areas of creative practice and thought are gaining more traction or people are feeling safer to organize in smaller groups and make their things happen and finding ways to co-create and to find funding and resources and to support that and I think you know, on a large scale, we can see some of the negative results of people going off into factions, but there is also a lot of positives that can come out of that, where we're able to really appreciate the things that we are united by and make them grow and flourish. And I'm finding a lot of positivity, actually, in ways in which that smaller, more independent practitioners are coming together to form collectives or to create day festivals or weekend festivals or different ways of working to make things happen and make things happen in a way that's more sustainable and independent from large funders, institutions, or those kind of traditional leaders, as you said, that we saw before, because we don't need to go and follow that route. We can start creating our ways of doing. And I don't think that's a massively new idea. We could just look at history and the way in which that people have organised in the past. But I think one thing that we need to really hold on to at the moment is the sustainability. Um, I think there's been some beautiful, amazing projects that have allowed us to get to where we are at the moment. But are we going to continue to hold hands? Are we going to continue to work collectively to keep going? I hope you enjoyed this podcast and look out for more conversations in the series. 
Are you keen to access further information, support and inspiration? Take a look at www.napkstart.nl where you will have free access to a variety of workshops, presentations, talks, podcasts, masterminds and more.